0: awesome to be be back once again to talk about pansy production. We've covered the seeding and germination, we've covered the transplant stages and how critical that is. And now we're back to finish up this crop. And the finishing stage of this crop is really all about identifying problems and solving those problems before they get too bad. It's about irrigation, it's about fertilization and sending that crop out the door to retail or to your landscape customers. Uh, ready to go so that they look good on the retail shelf, they look uniform in the landscape, and that you're uh, not getting those trays returned because they're all bumpy or just not looking good because that's the last thing you want. That turns into shrink, which is something we all want to avoid. So we're back once again with Dr. Will Healy, Senior Technical Manager at Ball, to finish up this pansy crop. So Will, why don't you go ahead and share your screen and take us through the final stages of the best pansy crop you've ever produced.
1: Sure. Um, because, you know, the thing that I know about um, pansies <clears throat> is that they can be the most bipolar experience in the industry. Either you find that you have a wildly successful no-brainer. You plant them 100%, they finish uniformly, ship them in one day, and they're, they're perfect. Or they're basically nothing but a challenge all the way through to the end. And a lot of it has to do with following some of the key subtle little um, nuances of why do good pansies go bad? So we're really gonna spend some time um, in this presentation talking about um, how you prevent good pansies from going bad. Does that seem like a good approach, Bill? Um, Because you're trying to finish um, pansies in the fall under the heat Um, under the stressful conditions and probably the worst growing conditions for a pansy so that the consumer can have a great product all the way through the fall and the following spring. So we're basically, we're doing all the hard work so that they can have all the enjoyment. Um, When you're doing spring pansies, um, that's, they're a lot easier. It's just that they're with you forever. You know, if you look at a pansy crop for um, the fall, if you're, Pretty much four weeks, and you're you're pretty much planted, done, Um, or you should be. It might be five weeks, but usually it's about four weeks. And and conversely, in the spring, you probably are sitting on it for two months just because it's gold, they're growing slowly, they're kind of hanging around. And so they have a lot of opportunity to die for other reasons. So let's take a look at um, what are some of the problems. And of course, no PANSY um, presentation can be complete if you don't talk about the PANSY model syndrome, or as I refer to it as the PANSY muddle syndrome. And then why is it a muddle? Is because what causes it? Why is it this has been um, a problem that has plagued us um, pretty much my for the last 35, 40 years as pansies are been more extensively grown it's more um, common if you have no idea what I, I'm talking about, um, you're fortunate to have not joined that fraternity of growers who have experienced it but it's one of those that all of a sudden you've got it and you can't figure out what's causing it. If you take a look at the pictures I've presented, it puts itself, it expresses itself in a number of different ways. Um, probably the most striking is this bright white leaf. It's basically, it's a almost like a variegated leaf. It's kind of pretty, except that it's um, it doesn't flower and it has an abnormal growing point. And oh, by the way, the flowers are really ratty looking. So um, even though the plant's kind of cool, um, it's not good. You can also end up with it being kind of a yellow and, um, chlorosis. And it's again, it's all this distorted tissue. And of course, the plants are unsaleable. That's probably the worst case scenario. The lesser case scenario um, is just that the growing point is abnormal. The leaves get twisted and turned. And basically, you get a lot of different um, scenarios. Usually, tip abortion, where the growing point basically stops developing, is an indication of this um, problem. So you you see it, and then you think, well, okay, it's only in this variety, it must be the variety. No, then the next planting you do, it's in a different variety, or it could be in the same variety, and it could be in this planting, or it could be in that plant. It's just, it randomly shows up in most cases. Sometimes people can reproduce it consistently. It's been very difficult to um, figure out what causes it and what is the, um, <coughs> the exact reason for this. But we do know a number of different things um, about the Pansy Muddle syndrome. The research has been done shows that it's usually due to when you have high relative humidity in the summer and you have wet roots. So the soil saturated, and you have high relative humidity. So can you say, ah, well, this is just boron deficiency. Well, feeding boron never fixes it and never prevents it. You still get it even though you fed a lot of boron. And so what we know that this is usually a rapid and sudden stress event. We've seen it where you could have very extremely low temperatures. You can have extremely high temperatures. Both extremes can trigger this event. And there's a trigger event that usually occurred three to five days before you actually see the symptoms. So there's, it's very difficult to tie the event that triggered it with the symptoms that appear. Also high relative humidity, excessive light. Of course, excessive light gives you um, high leaf temperatures. So there's a lot of different moving parts to this, but it's usually a stress event. So the, the simple answer that Bill, even Bill can come up with is don't stress out your plants, right, Bill? I mean, just leave them alone. Don't stress them out and yep. life will be good.
0: Absolutely, let them, let them grow strong, stay on top of uh, all of those different factors of plant growth and uh, hopefully it'll be smooth sailing and you won't have to deal with this because that is ugly.
1: Yeah, it, they're really ugly. It is the boogeyman of the pansy world. So let's um, we're gonna talk about how to do it. And of course, as I said, it's varietal, it's seasonal planting, it can be environmental. The one thing we absolutely know, it's not disease. We have looked at this Upside down backwards forward and um, certain varieties or colors it's actually colors are more prone to some of these problems, red and roses seem to be more prone to it and sometimes are the first indicator but. You no, know, They all seem to show up at some point, so just be aware of it in that you need, and the reason why you need to do all of these things. Um, that we're going to talk about in a moment is to prevent the stress conditions that lead to pansy model syndrome so. Let's talk about this grower who actually did this. I mean, I was walking through a greenhouse one day and lo and behold, there they have the perfect example of where you should and should not be. Because if you pull those plants out, out of those packs, you basically, you can see what they look like. And of course, what we can talk about is that this is a perfect example of the five levels of moisture, five being saturated. Notice in the picture, the total lack of any roots, because of course, we all know that fish grow in water and roots grow in air. And so if you're always saturated, well, they're Never going to really grow much of a roots. As you start drying down to a level three, you can start seeing roots. And where do you see the roots, Bill? You see them all the way to the bottom. Yep. And if you see, yeah, and if you start looking at level two, and actually if you look at level one on the surface, that's one on the top, but it's probably a level two on the bottom of the pack. And that's why you always look at the bottom of the pack. If you notice that um, it's got, they almost look furry, and that's because they they're fuzzy roots. And remember, pansy roots, viola roots are happy roots when they're fuzzy roots. Um, And it's because they're searching for water. Because one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that soil does breathe. Because as you put water in, you force all the air out. And of course, air is critical for that root development. And as you basically, as the water drains out, evaporates out, the air gets sucked back in. So that you basically, soil is breathing due to the fact that you're adding water or the water is evaporating and disappearing. So you basically, how you get air into it is you keep the water out so you don't force all the air out, or you basically dry that soil back so that you can draw more air back in. Because if we were to take a look at a bunch of soil particles, what I've got an example of here, is you can see that at a saturated Soil, the water is around all of the soil particles. As you go to a level um, one where there's very little, if any water, free water present, you'll see that there's just nothing but air. But of course, then the roots die because they need the water. So you really need to be in that level, water it up to four and dry it back to a two. So you stay away from one and five because those are not happy places. 4 to 2 is your happy place. Whether you're talking about plugs, which we talk a lot about, or you're talking about finished plants, pick up the pot, pull it out of the pot, look at the bottom. The bottom is the key to making sure that you've gotten the water out, because if you don't have a perched water table, if you don't have shiny level 5 at the bottom, you've basically pulled air all the way back through. Now, I mentioned the concept of a perched water table. What is a perched water table? It is a basically, it's a technical definition of, this is what um, the amount of where water is held against um, gravity in the container. So it's usually just right at the bottom. And you can tell that you've got a perched water table because if you knock the pot out of there, you'll actually see free water. You can actually um, squeeze and you can easily get water out of that bottom, you know, quarter inch, eighth of an inch, of that pot will have perch. And then of course, the water is moving due to capillarity back up. So if you've got a very short, um, a shallow pot, you basically can be very wet all the time. If you've got a taller pot, it's not so much. Now, the problem that you run into is the roots basically look for water until they get to that perched water table and they won't really develop well in there. So you need to dry that perched water table out to get the roots to grow into there. Because remember, you need to have air present to get the root growth. So you basically have the roots grow down. And when you get the roots down, the beauty of having roots at the bottom of a container is that they'll remove the perched water table so that when the water basically due to gravity goes to the bottom of the container, if you've got a good root mass at the bottom, it basically sucks all the water up. That's why we always talk about trying to get the roots to the bottom of the container within seven days in a pansy crop. So that what you have is is that you then can water it much more easily because you don't have to be worried about having too much water and not getting roots to the bottom. So, and of course the perch water table is the same size, the same height, regardless of the container that you're using. You can see an example of different size containers, um, whether you've got tall or you've got flat, basically it's always going to be that same depth which is anywhere between an eighth to a quarter of an inch at the bottom of that container, um, just due to gravity, because it will not um, drain anymore. Putting more holes on the bottom doesn't make any difference. Putting fewer holes, it's just basically, it's held there against gravity and will not leak out. Um, so you really want to be aware of that perch water table, because it's an integral part of watering. And how do you know? Knock the plant out of the pot. Good growers always look at the bottom of the pot, and the top, and make a watering decision based on that. So, let's change um, direction a little bit and talk about grow out. A lot of people have seen this where you get this really uneven growing, and you basically can have as bad as um, death in the tray. So, what causes these grow out problems um, where you basically end up with? Even packs where you've got, you know, four or five plants that are normal, blooming, lovely plants, best things you've ever grown. Right next to it are near-death experiences. And those near-death experiences, you unfortunately have to get someone out there to pull them out and put in um, good plants. Excess labor and who's got help. Um, so anyway, so how do we eliminate this grow-out issues? It's, there's a lot of reasons for it, and you just need to go through the checklist to make sure you've got it. The number one reason is old soil. You know, soil should be just like your milk; it should have a date stamped on it. That says use by. Um, a lot of growers believe that dirt's dirt, dirt's good forever. I mean, God put it on the earth, and it lasts forever. Well, peat moss does age, especially when you get in big bales and you set them outside. Um, what happens is that the charge can be gone. You've got a nutrient charge. You've got a limestone charge for pH control. What's been added there is the good stuff basically is either leached out or it's just basically consumed by the microbes that are in the soil so that there's no nutrient charge of micronutrients and um, phosphorus and macronutrients and then also limestone. But of course, you know, Bill, people always go and test their soil before they use it, don't they?
0: Yeah, every time. Every time. Every
1: time. And of course, they if they don't want to do a full nutrient test, at least do a pH and EC, because that will tell you a lot. Because if you've got um, controlled release fertilizer in there and you believe you have it and you do an EC test, you should have an EC. If you have no EC, guess what happened? The controlled release for, um, formulation, the CRF, is gone. So that you don't have that fertilizer that you're depending upon to get the plants growing um, well, probably the most common problem is the wetting agent. Um, the wetting agent doesn't last forever. Um, you know, especially if you've gotten your soil and it's sitting there for um, a year or so. Um, you basically that that wetting agent can be long gone so that you end up with uneven wetting and of course we've talked about pansies being water management is very critical and you want to have uniformity so if you've got wet spots and dry spots and some spots are just really wet and some spots are really dry well of course that's going to give you a lot of trouble trying to get uniform moisture which of course is going to give you a difference in growth of the plants so a lot of this um, grow out issues can be traced directly back to the soil that you're using. Now of course I'm assuming that you've handled your plugs correctly from the time you've received them till you've transplanted them and of course we do have that other um, webinar that we talk about some of the do's and the don'ts to be successful with it. So I'm assuming you've done all those things but you still have grow out problems. make sure that that soil mix is adequately moist at the time of planting. Because if you don't have the right wetting agent, it's not gonna wet. And basically, how do you know that your wetting agent is there? Is you can do a jar test. It's a very complicated test. You take a clear glass you that you probably use for water, and you fill it up and you sprinkle the soil on the top. And if the soil sinks, the wetting agent's okay. If the soil floats like a boat, It's not, so you want that soil. And as long as it's starting to percolate down, that means the wetting agent's still good. But if it's all floating like a boat and that's still clear, no clouds, no nothing floating in there, that means that your wetting agent's probably gone and that it's not gonna wet uniformly. If it doesn't wet uniformly, the plugs are gonna dry out and not not gonna root out uniformly. And this whole syndrome of grow out is going to begin. It occurs sure
0: to me that you know the issue that we're we're facing right now with shortages of raw materials. A lot of growers are ordering soil early, and you know they might have, might actually order a couple of years' worth at a time um, just to to avoid any any issues in in the you know delivery of that product. And so this is probably something really critical to pay attention to right now.
1: Yeah, and then also when you start going to um wood fibers or additional different mixes that you're not used to making sure that you've got a sufficient wetting agent in there so it does wet all the way through and you can keep it wet so that you really have to make sure that you've got plenty of um moisture at the correct weights so that they um the plants will root out uniformly so do the simple
0: tests yeah. right i mean do yeah. these simple tests whether it's phdc yeah. or just the the glass jar test for the wetting agent Yep. You know, do that. Take, take the few extra minutes, do that, and you're going to be, you know, ahead of the game and probably avoid some
1: issues. Because if you know before you plant, there's a lot of things I can suggest you do. Once it's in the ground, it, it's like really hard to fix stuff. Unless you're a fix-it man that you like, you live, you're a fireman, you like to fix stuff, um, that's fine. We can tell you how to do that, but it's better to um, fix it ahead of time. Your fertilization program is also very important to make sure that you fed that plug uniformly so that it pops out. A lot of times what happens is in the scenario that the picture that you can see, um, what happens is the controlled release, the CRF, um, basically isn't releasing fast enough. And so some of the plugs just basically disappeared because they just they, they ran out of juice and were held too long and they just died. So making sure that you've got a fertilization program that matches the plant need. Also make sure that you don't have a thalaviopsis. Look at those plugs that are transplanted, make sure that they've got nice, white, healthy, fuzzy roots. Fuzzy roots are happy roots. Um, Black roots, well, those might not be as happy and might have either Pythium, thalabiopsis or um, some other um, root diseases. So take a look and make sure you don't, you're not planting a disease in that soil because they they will die. Let's talk a little bit about your fertilization program, especially when you're looking at what you're doing in the spring versus what you're doing um, in the fall. In the spring, you've got lots of time so you can get lots of time to get that fertilizer in. Whereas in the fall, you really don't have much time. As we mentioned earlier, you know, you plant it and three, four, five weeks later, you're basically shipping it out the door. So you really don't have a lot of fertilization opportunities that you can put in. Remember, you've got a much faster growth rate in the fall than you do in the spring. So therefore there's a much higher need for initial feed so that you don't, starve the plants and restrict growth. Because remember, in a pansy plant, they have a tendency to go straight up unless you feed them adequately, then they will branch out. So if you want a nice well-branched plant, you got to get the feed in early. You got to feed before they need it. Otherwise they're just not going to send the branches out and you're going to end up with stick in a pot. So let's make sure that because of the speed of the growth, that you need to make sure that you get more nitrogen on early. Nutrient requirements are all about feeding before you need. In the spring, you got plenty of time. They're not going to need. They're growing very slow, so there's a long time to get the nutrients in. They're just moving slower. So you can feed them slower. Whereas in this in the fall, you got to feed them fast. And you got to get it in there right away, otherwise you run out. Remember, the control release fertilizer in most cases is for the consumer and landscaper benefit, not for you as the producer. You as a producer have got to get the feed in long before that soil release probably is ever going to start releasing. Remember that every crop regardless of what you're growing, petunias, pansies, marigolds, geraniums, whatever, have a minimum amount of nitrogen that is required to reach a saleable size. You know, if you're growing corn, you put so many um, tons of nitrogen per acre to get X yield. If you put in more, you get a higher yield. You put in less, you get less of a yield. So there is this optimum amount of nitrogen that you need to apply. And the rate, how many parts per million you apply each time and how often you apply it, you multiply those together and that tells you the total amount of nitrogen that's over the life of the crop. So if you add 100 parts per million every time you water and you water five times during the life of that crop, now, Bill, we're we're both challenging sure. your math. 500. Five hundred times hundred is five hundred, and that's what we have to start thinking about: is are we getting enough nitrogen? Because if we only put, if we need a thousand and we only put five hundred on, what is the plant going to be? Deficient. Right, it's gonna be little. It's gonna be a runt. If you go and you have, if it needs a thousand and you put two thousand on, what is it going to be? Huge,
0: it's tall, and it's tall. going to be
1: a growth regulator nightmare. So yep. this is where you have to kind of dial in in your mind as a grower, how much do I need to feed this and when should I put it on. So I've got a nice little graph where we've got a couple different scenarios. The blue one is every watering you put on 75 parts per million, seven days a week, you put it on seven times because you watered them and they're drying and they're watering. so every 24 hours, you're putting it on, okay? And as you can see, if we say that you need um, a thousand parts per million or a thousand parts per million nitrogen total over the life of the crop to get a a saleable size without excess of growth regulator, basically after two weeks, you pretty much have got all the nitrogen that you need. You got a thousand parts per million after two weeks, of applying 75 parts per million every day. Now, if on the other hand you're only doing it every other watering, which means you're only putting on about three waterings per week, you never get to a thousand. Eventually, after four weeks, you will, but it's real, you know, it takes twice as long because you're only applying it half as much. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you really have to sit down and look at your crop and say, "Am I sizing up fast enough? Am I sizing up too fast? How much should I apply?" Because just like children, you know, we've all hopefully have had some children. They, you know, you, you they go to bed and they're you know so tall, and they come down the stairs the next morning and wonder who is that child? They look like they've grown three inches. Well, that's the whole idea that you need to have fed them earlier, so that then they suddenly will grow. And our plants do the same thing. So make sure that you're getting that early feed on of 75 to 100 parts per million, depending upon your growing conditions, so that in those first two weeks you've loaded the plant. It's the concept of loading the plant with nitrogen um, on the front end, so that the this can. Um, controlled release fertilizers are basically available for the consumer, but you as the grower are front loading. Remember that also with higher temperature, the drying rate changes, so that if you need to be down to a level two, and you basically take it up to a level four, that You know, or if you take it up to a level five, it's the difference is, is how much water, how many grams of water that you put in there and how fast are you losing that water. It's a math problem, which of course all horticulturists are a little challenged with math, but basically it tells you that, you know, if you put on an extra 800 grams of water, it's just going to take longer to lose that water than if you only put on 600 grams, so really start thinking through how how much water am I applying? Am I getting just a drip out of the bottom or am I basically running water out of the bottom? And then how long is it taking to dry out? So early when there's not much growth, you probably wanna put on less, a little bit less water to get those roots to the bottom. Once those roots are the bottom, you can put on more water because you got more plant on top if you're feeding it. So that you really start thinking through how much water am I applying? You just don't set the timer up for, oh, It's eight o'clock in the morning and we're gonna run it for 45 minutes, regardless of whether that crop was just laid down or it was ready to ship. You know, you gotta be a little smarter about how we water, how much water we apply, so that we're trying to dry it down every day, so we can basically, so we can dry it down so we can water it again with fertilizer, because you wanna add fertilizer every time you water. What about plant growth regulators? Remember, we talked a little bit in some of the earlier sessions on how you can tell that your plant growth regulators run out is because those the petioles go straight up and you've got those basically those giant ears. Um, anytime you start seeing that and plants aren't flat, flat is happy, straight up is bad. Um, that means that there's they're starting to stretch. Remember, it's all about how long that soil stays um, saturated. You know, Think about a plant. What a plant is, is it's nothing but a bunch of water balloons. So if you don't add very much water to those water balloons and you stack them on top of each other, they're not very tall. Whereas if you pour a lot of water into them, they get very tall. And so they just get twice as, or three times as big. So, you know, water control is an important part of your plant growth regular. That's why early on, we're not talking about saturating that soil, because when you saturate the soil, the roots sit in water too long and they take up water happily. And if they take up water, what are they gonna do? They're gonna bloat like me. But so you really wanna control that water so it's thin like Bill. So you really want to be um, watching that water management. Also keep in mind that the plant growth regulators, especially during the the, um, summer period when it's hot, are really consumed. Think about it as the growth regulators run out that you basically don't end up with enough water you know, they run out over time. So you put it on depending upon how strong the growth regulator is. Remember that B9, it's no longer effective once these are induced. So by the time you transplant your um, pansies or violas, they are induced most likely. They've got flowers set. You can't see them, but they're there. And so B9 no longer is effective no matter what the rate is. And that's just a feature of B9. So we really don't use B9 by itself any longer. Um, it's just not worth it. We're usually using at this time, um, we can use bonsai and Sumagic, but you really have to watch what you're doing so that the plants will grow. You want to make sure that you're not putting it on too early. You want to be um, thinking about it at once it hits about 90% of allowable size, so you're basically size up and you're coming up and you're about 90% of where you need to be, that's when you start thinking about bonsai to kind of slow and tone it all down. Most critical, active ingredient per container. So that, you know, someone who's applying it by hand that walks slowly is putting a lot per container if you've got say five parts per million in, in the barrel, and they're walking really kind of slowly because you know they haven't got to go anywhere. They're, they're putting on a fairly high dosage of active ingredient per plant versus the speedy Gonzales who basically you know, does an acre in 10 minutes. Um, that person is going too fast. So speed, speed controls the active ingredient. So that's good because if you've got a plant that's got a lot of leaves that are up, spray them slowly. If you've got a lot of them that are smaller, are, are basically down low, spray them fast so that you have different amounts of active ingredient per um, plant. Does that make sense, Bill?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Good. So then we want to make sure that you um, use a spray is more is preferred when you get it on, Bonsai and magic you have to be on the stem. So you got to spray at an angle. You can't spray down because that just gets on the leaves and Bonsai is magic is not taken up by the leaves taken up by the stem so you got to be spraying into the leaves to get it onto the stem because if you spray it on the top so it runs down the stem well now you got to drench okay and once you get in the soil you're done it's basically taken up by the roots and it locks the plant up so you really have to be very careful about are you, when you spray, you spray at an angle, and you basically can spray in two different directions. You spray down the bench, turn around and spray back the bench, and make sure that you're doing it fast enough so you get both sides of the stem. You know, it's best if you're growing in very hot climates, so if you've got July, early August, um in the south that's very good but as you start going into late august and september the bonsai su magic probably will um start locking up the plants too much because now it's going to start cooling down and you're going to magnify the um the effect so be, be cognizant of what the effect of the growth regulators. A lot of times growers will use a tank mix. Now, if you see B9, B9 enhances the A-REST effect. So B9 by itself is not effective, but when you put B9 and A-REST, B9 and CycloCell, both of those work really well. B9 plus florel, if you see that you, you're you just not bulking out because you forgot to feed them in the pl- in before transplant, you didn't bother to feed them um, and you're basically getting the stick in a pot and you want to get more bulk to them or you're, you only put three plugs in a six inch pot instead of four or five, which will fill it off faster. The florel, B9 plus Florel is very effective. It was more critical in some of the older genetics when this work, B9 plus Florel work was done back in the, um, oh, let's say the dark days of pansy breeding um, back in the 90s. Um, They were using some of the really old varieties that didn't branch very well, the current varieties, um, the series like matrix which was bred specifically to branch and branch vigorously, the violas that were bred for branching capability, this is um, probably not as critical that you use um, B9 plus 4l So let's keep that in mind as we're um, using the correct growth regulator. And again, the Grower Talks article um, on um, growth regulators, a good source for rates and timing and additional information. Um, let's talk about disease management because disease management is so critical. Um, if you've treated the plugs, um, in the growing stage, you treated them before treat. Um, remember that there's a regular treatment protocol. Um, in the tech on demand um, assortment of literature, there is a Flaviopsis document that basically goes through the um, recommendation. If you've had the problem in the past, and you, those of you who have experienced it and joined that Flaviopsis fraternity know all about this, But um, if you think you've got the it's very easy to correctly diagnose um, in a good um, lab. And they can look at it, and they can see the black. You can see these black spots on the roots um, are very um, indicative of the problem. So check it out. And remember, there is no curative, none, nada. It's a preventative. So you've got to be out there treating ahead of time. Remember, pythium, um, and there are um, preventatives, Philaviopsis, or if you're in downy mildew world, you've got to bid it on ahead of time. If curative, you can do leaf spots um, and pythia. Grower Talks article also has got um, a good brochure on how to handle it. Let's talk about this post-harvest prep, because this is really important for success for our customers. Because we're not growing them for us, we're growing them for our customers, the landscapers and consumers who put them in their yard and expect the plants to grow. And perform one of the most important things that we can do is make sure that they're fed aggressively and aggressively if you've been putting on 50 75 parts per million in plug production or in the in your um, regular production when it comes time to start shipping them right at the end putting on 200 parts per million again with an ammonia based fertilizer like 20 or which would probably be better because it's predominantly urea and ammonia. Um, So it doesn't get leached out because the biggest problem we run into is in the garden center, they are either rained on and all the fertilizer's leached out or by chance they get watered aggressively because they have no clue on how to water them. So then all the fertilizer gets leached out Um, So that basically you end up with a a plant that's very hungry, it goes to the consumer or the landscape bed, which has zero fertilizer in it, and the performance of that plant is eh, mediocre, and then the consumer gives up, and that's one of our biggest Challenges in this industry is people who are just giving up because they, they feel like they're a failure. We need to help them be successful. So making sure that you've got adequate fertilizer in the plant, in that soil when they basically plant it. Make sure that they're watered thoroughly um, so that, you, that you've got a solid root ball of feed that goes out there. Um, make sure that they've got the right fungicides on them depending upon your local um, disease pressure you may want to put a plant growth regulator on them, just kind of tone them down, but you don't want to go and slack them so they never grow. Basically a week after you um, ship them, they should start changing size. So they should start growing. That's kind of the rule of thumb. So if they're sitting around, they should grow up. If you're shipping any distance, one of the most important thing is to get the heat out of the soil, because if you ship hot pots, so those pots are starting to run you know 80 90 degrees because they've been sitting out in the sun um, those plants are going to of course pump water like mad they're going to get soft you're going to end up with disease problems especially if they're um, in, packed in a wrap so make sure that you're getting them picked um, either early early morning so that you can get them out of the um, fields early in the morning you um, and you put them in a shaded location to so that you can keep the field heat out of the plants Um, If you've got a cool place that you can cool them down, especially if you're shipping them any distance, that's also very important. And that's all part of getting the shipping, You know, because all of the shipping issues that we hear about from um, growers usually is directly related to the fact that the soil um, is running 80, 90 degrees, and basically the plants collapse at that point. So really be focusing on that, um, those aspects. So hopefully you've gotten some tips, some ideas, on how, how not to um, experience some of the real challenges that pansies so you can say, huh, ah, that was easy.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And it's funny, you know, go back to your referencing uh, the grower you, you worked with who was having problems year after year and you made some tweaks in the production, got things started uh, stronger, probably helped a little bit with with how uh, this grower was sending them out the door and he said, wow, that was that was a, actually really easy. So. You know, like always, it comes comes down to knowing what you need to do, executing on on track, um, and not getting behind. So, you know, I, I you gave us so much great information, um, tips to help all growers produce their best pansy crop ever, whether that's spring or fall production. And uh Will, really appreciate it.
1: Thanks a lot. And good luck with your pansies and violas. It's a great crop. Consumers love it.
0: Absolutely. And before we end, I do want to remind uh, the listeners and viewers that all the resources that were referenced are in the show notes. Uh, If you were uh, listening to the audio version, we do have uh, the slideshow available. Uh, Those links will be in the show notes, or you can just jump over to YouTube and watch the video uh, if you really want to see some of the great pictures that, that Will was sharing. Um, and lastly, again, please subscribe to the Tech On Demand weekly newsletter, comes out every Friday, and uh, we'll, we'll keep you up to speed on all the new information that we're sharing, all the, the folks that we're collaborating with, whether that's uh, university resor- research or, uh, or, or all the other companies out there creating fantastic technical tips uh, for growers. I think everybody in our industry wants you to be successful And uh, we're going to do our best to share those resources on a weekly basis. So again, that's it for today. I'm Bill Calkins with Ball Tech On Demand, wishing you a fantastic pansy season.